I'd like to start this morning um, by just mentioning these words. Let the saving love of Christ be the measure of your lives. When I talked to John this week and we talked about what service was going to be like, one of my favorite things is going to worship with an intentional nature. One of my most frustrating things that happens to me and with me is when I get to travel around and go to different churches, I'll go to these places sometimes, and when it's time for the singing, what they'll do is they'll focus a lot on the preaching, and the singing, they'll say, I'll just go up there and and sing the greatest hits. (laughs) You know, just go up there and sing the one that you really like. And so John reaches out this week, early in the week, early in the week, and he, he starts talking to me about the songs and the intentional nature of what we were going to be doing here. And when we talked about this song, All to Us, At first I said, you know what, I don't really know that one super well. And he said, I've sent it an email before and it's gone out to the church before. And so I kind of got shamed. No, I'm just kidding. I looked at it, went back through my email and I said, okay, I really like this line from the song. I really like this song because it talks about the intentional nature of Jesus in my life and in your life. And if you're like me, you forget that. If you're like me, you lose that passion and that intentional nature sometimes. So then I get another message. And the next message that I get this week is from Tucker. And Tucker's talking to me and he says, hey, we've got this block party coming up. And the block party that's coming up for the church is something that's going to be here. And the same kind of shame, I mean, the same kind of information was this. Dude, you're never in town. Are you going to be there? And I said, yes, I think I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm you know, looking at it. I think we can. We talked about it this morning. And I wanted to put that same thing on you today. When the church does things that are intentional, when we talk about an intentional youth program, when we talk about intentional preaching, intentional singing, I want to ask you the same way I ask myself, are you engaged in those intentional efforts? And if you're not, guess what? That's cool. You can still go to heaven. But what I want you to know this morning is that we have a huge intentional effort coming up with this block party. And so I want you to think about that. If you don't know what a block party is, congratulations, that's great, because you won't find it word for word in the book of Acts. But the concept that you're going to find is one of, check this out, God's people doing something on purpose in the community, ready for this one, so that more people could know about Jesus, and I don't think this is crazy, and have a good time doing it. We have a good time doing so many things in life. Why not have a good time together as the church telling people, not only you need to know about Jesus, but we really like telling you about Jesus. I'm looking out and seeing people that I know from all different areas. We go crazy on ball fields. We go crazy at concerts. We go crazy, and when I say go crazy, I'm talking about we get excited and fire up about all these different things, which I think are great to do, but I got a couple of kids, that was an understatement, that I really hope can see adults be crazy about Jesus. And so I want you to just keep your ears open for that. I've always thought we should preach announcements, so I just did it. And so just pay close attention to that as we talk about the block party that's coming up. Last week... We had a group from here and from all over the county that was at church camp. And I know there's another group uh, from our county who's there this week. But I was roughing it. But I wasn't at camp. I was roughing it at the house. And what I mean by that is that my wife went as the nurse and, and took our older two. And I was on survive and advance duty with the younger two. The ironic part of this is that she's at camp and and she's the nurse and she's taking care of people. When I showed up Thursday night, there were people coming up. They were saying, hey, I need this medicine. Hey, can you look at this wound? All all, All of these different things. And I thought, 
my kids are intact. My, my kids this week are intact, so I made it at home. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy because when I was there without my wife, my two youngest would just randomly disappear. Now, they didn't leave the premises, but, but they would randomly disappear. And I would look around and think, when they're quiet, parents, you know this, that could be danger. And, and when they're quiet, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to go on this search mission and find them. Well, my youngest, Jax, would disappear into our home office and he would come back with stacks and stacks of paper. I'd like to tell you that's because he's so studious and wants to do summer learning, but what he loves to do is go and draw these pictures and he likes to ask you a question. So he would say, Scott, what, what's your favorite animal? All right, he, he could respond and he'd look over here and say, James, what's your favorite animal? And you would give these two animals and then he draws them and he draws them in a way I never did this, but it would be such and such versus such and such, all right? He, he would draw these things with whatever answer you would give him. And so Coleman was busy watching a ball game and Jax was really bugging him saying, hey, what, what's your favorite animal? And Cole just finally looks at him, kind of side glances, and he goes, a snake, I guess. And so Jax is like, okay, he starts drawing the snake. Well, well, then he says, dad, what's your favorite animal? And I'd love to tell you I was fully engaged, but I think I rattled off something like monkey. And I said it, well, Jax starts drawing both of these things. I would love to tell you that this is arts and crafts in our family where we're very engaged. This is Jax asking you what your favorite animals are. And then he shows you, he says, actually, here's what I need you guys to know. Snake beats monkey because he would do this, this, and this. Congratulations, Cole. Here's your picture. And I thought, okay, my man, you know, he's in art and commerce and he's doing these things. But he had a stack of paper. Parents, grandparents, teachers, you know what that means? Lots of pictures. And so the next thing that he asked was this. He said, Dad, I need you to tell me something that's, that's very strong. And I said, okay, I, I don't know. I see what we're doing here. How about a machine gun? And so I said, can you draw a machine gun? He starts to, yeah, I got it, St starts to draw the machine gun. And I thought, there's no way Coleman's going to beat this. Well, Coleman nerds out on me and starts quoting some huge weapon from Fortnite. All right, they probably got from your kids right now. But, but he goes and he starts finding this huge weapon and he draws them and he says, Coleman wins again. Well, at this point, I don't want to lose. I'm getting kind of tired of this activity. And Coleman says, I'll go first. And he says, um, draw Bigfoot. And so Jack starts to draw Bigfoot. Coleman's understanding, too, this game where whatever's more powerful wins. And Cole just wants to rack up all of Jack's art, I guess. And so he's doing this and he's drawing. And I hear Coleman say, Bigfoot. And I looked at him and I did the ultimate Jesus juke. What I said to him was, I kind of looked over and said, okay, you're going to go Bigfoot? I said, God. Well, when I said God, number one, I wanted to see what it would look like for Jax to draw God. I mean, I was just very interested in that. As a guy that doesn't have a good imagination, I was interested in what that was going to look like. And we all know, of course, that Bigfoot would be God. That's deep theology. And so I, I said this, and Jax puts his drawing utensil down and looks at me and says, you can't do that. I can't do that because you can't draw God? What do you mean? He goes, no, no, you can't do that. He said, that's cheating. And I said, how is that cheating? And he goes, you can't say the most powerful thing. <laughs> when he said that to me, I immediately texted Malia and I said, Jax is over here preaching at the house. And I looked at this and I thought, you know what? From the mouth of a child, the child that says this, you can't do that. That's a cheat code, right? God is the most powerful thing. I thought about him saying that as a young child. And then I pushed fast forward to me at 43 years old. Does anything in my life point to God being the most powerful thing? 
Does anything in my life, from my conversations to my activities to the things that I'm passionate about, could people look at me and say, God's the most powerful thing in your life? You believe that God could defeat everything. We have songs about it. VBS will be about it in some form or fashion. But from a young age, we talk about how powerful God is, don't we? We talk about him being so strong and so mighty, you can finish the jam. Like we do all of these different things about who God is, about how strong he is. And then life happens. Life happens to me. Life happens to you. People break promises. People hurt each other. We start to look at these different instances in our lives and from a kid who can say, man, God is the most powerful thing. Nothing can beat God. I find myself over here in adulthood as a husband, as a parent, looking at brokenness all around me, sometimes even in the mirror. And I find myself saying this, God, you're, you're powerful, but it's more so with a question mark than it is an exclamation point. And if you've been there and if you're there this morning, I want you to know, congratulations, you're human. Because we can't flip through the book of Psalms without seeing someone say in one breath, God, you are so powerful. God, you are my fortress. And then flip over a few pages and you know what it is? Where are you? Show your face. I need you. And so this morning, I don't want to shame everybody. I don't want you to say, you know what, we should have the faith of a child as together we stand and sing. What I want to do this morning is talk about the question that is asked when it comes to how powerful we really think that God is. Go to the book of John with me this morning. Book of John, John chapter 6. If you think about in your life questions that have been asked, you've heard different questions that have been asked and some questions that are asked are questions that are good, easy questions. Questions like this, hey, what can I get for you? Questions like this, is there anything that you need? Questions like this, hey, where, where do you want to go? Man, I, what are you doing today? It's people where they're engaged with you because they want to be with you. There's other questions that are terrible. And the other questions that are terrible are questions like this. Why didn't you do that? What were you thinking? How could you hurt me? And those are questions that, that we don't want to answer. Those are questions that we look at and we say this, you know what, I don't have an answer for that. Hard pass on me answering that question. That's not something that I want to do. That's not something that I want to answer to. And there's a question here in John chapter 6 that's a question that's hard. It's a question that's hard for me and it's probably hard for you, but I think it's a question worth asking because here we are at the beginning of a summer and there are people in this auditorium that have lots of plans. We have people that have lots of plans where I'm going to do this, I'm going to go there, I'm going to be in this position, I'm going to take care of this or that. And the question that should be asked to all of us is this, do you have plans? Are you intentional when it comes to, you ready, following Jesus this summer? Well, well obviously, you know what we're all going to say? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here, I'm checked in at worship, I'm not checked out, I'm, I'm engaged, block party doesn't sound terrible, I'll check that out. You know, all these different things that we look at and we say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. But I want to ask this question this morning from John chapter 6 about what that really means for me and for you and do I believe that he's powerful. In John chapter 6, 
I want to start reading to you at around about verse 50, okay? And the reason I want to start in John 6, verse 50, is because we're going to find the followers of Jesus here having to answer a question. And they're going to have to answer a question here that they may not want to ask. They may not understand why they're being asked that question. But it's right in the middle of Jesus doing some amazing things. And I want to ask you this morning, when you decided to follow Jesus, what happened around that that was amazing? Well, what happened around you following Jesus? It could have been at a gospel meeting. I love those stories, right? Well, you're there and you're hearing the message preached day after day after day. And then finally, on that last night or that final moment when you heard it, you were pricked to the heart. And you were pricked to the heart and you said this, man, I'm going to follow him. My, my, my palms are sweaty. I'm going to go down. I'm going to do this because I'm nervous and I want to obey. And maybe there was something amazing around that because they sang a song like Amazing Grace. But you realized, I can't really be amazed by my grace until I'm equally amazed by my sin. I'm doing, I'm doing terrible. I'm, I'm a broken mess, you know, and I realize this is how badly I need Jesus. Maybe for you, something amazing happened where you escaped danger. Maybe you escaped something where it was, man, life is bad and I've got this trajectory and I'm going in this bad direction. But you know what? Thanks be to God. And if I'm going to say that, I might as well follow him. And maybe something huge happened to the point where you said, I'm going to get on the road to redemption. And man, I'm going to get on it right now. Maybe for you, it was a relationship. And it was a relationship where you were really close to somebody. And you saw in their brokenness, in their pain, that they turned to Jesus. And you thought, I can do that too because there's hope and because there's restoration there. Well, here in John 6, Jesus is doing all of these things that are amazing. He's feeding people from a sack lunch. Um, He's done these things that are miraculous. And people are seeing these things. And he is teaching these things. And the men start to ask him. They start to ask these questions. Okay, you've done this. You've done this. This is amazing. Now what's next? And Jesus refers to himself. I'm going to go back from 50 to verse 47. Here he starts to talk about himself. And he starts to talk about himself as the bread of life. Verse 47, he tells them that I am telling you this right now. And I'm telling you the truth. Whoever believes in me has real life, eternal life. Now this is the stuff that we love. We love to talk about this, that we have eternal life in Jesus. That's something worth talking about. That's something that we all want to explore. But then he says this, I am the bread of life. What they ate before me, the manna bread in the desert, they ate that and they died. But now here is the bread that truly comes down out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die. And here's what he says, ever. I am the bread, the living bread who came down out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live, and they will live forever. The bread that I present to the world so that it can eat and live, this bread is me, my flesh and blood. Now now think about this. As they hear this, and they've seen these things that are miraculous, and they know that he's doing this, they hear this, and here's what they hear. You're telling us, the one who has done all these things, that you are the bread of life, and in their simple minds, the way that they process, they hear this, and you know what they think? This is cannibalism. Did they hear this right here? And here's what they say. You're the bread we're supposed to eat of you. This sounds a little crazy to us. But Jesus in verse 53 didn't budge. He said, only insofar as you eat and drink flesh and blood, the flesh and blood of the son of man, do you have life within you? 
The one who brings the hearty appetite of this eating and drinking will have eternal life and will be fit and ready for the final day. My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. By eating my flesh and drinking my blood, you enter into me and I into you. In the same way that the fully alive Father sent me here and I live because of him, so the one who makes a meal of me lives because of me. This is the bread from heaven. Whoever eats this will always live. He said these things while he was teaching at the meeting place in Capernaum. Now picture being somebody who hears this, being somebody who receives this message, and here's what they're going to say. This is hard. I mean, this is a hard truth and a hard saying and a hard teaching. What I told you earlier about my son drawing pictures and saying, you can't use that because he's powerful, that's easy. That's easy for me and for you to say that God is big, that God is powerful, that God is mighty, that God is strong. But when you start to look at what it really means to be in him and for him to be in you, if you take it in a literal sense, it's confusing. If you take it and you look look at it from a practical sense, you'll see this and you'll say, you know what, this is something that is hard for us to understand and to grasp. And verse 60 is where it gets real and then we have the question that's coming. Many among his disciples heard this and they said, this is tough teaching, too tough to swallow. Jesus sensed that his disciples were having a hard time with this and here's what he said. Does this rattle you completely? What would happen if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he came from? The Spirit can make life. Sheer muscle and willpower don't make anything happen. Every word that I have spoken to you is a spirit word, and so it is life-making. But some of you are resisting, refusing to have any part in this. Jesus knew from the start that some weren't going to risk themselves with him. He also knew who would betray them. He went on to say, this is why I told you earlier that no one is capable of coming to me on his own. You get to me only as a gift from the Father. After this, verse 66, many of his disciples left. I want to pause here for a moment before we put this question up for you to think about. We have one question for you to think about today. And what happens is we say out of one side of our mouths how powerful he is. And then we turn around and we see all of these people in our lives who disengage from that power. We can talk and we can sing about all of these songs and how great he is and how we believe that he is the one that we're supposed to follow. And then we turn around and if you're like me, I have friends, I have brothers, I have people that walk away from it. They walk away from something that I've been trying to teach my kids is so powerful. And you know what I say? Why would people do this? Because I'm trying to raise kids. I need people to know that, you know, so-and-so is going to be here and -and so-and-so is going to be faithful and they're going to stay connected. And then I have my own gut check. And my own gut check is this, Taft, do you follow? And picture Jesus looking at you the way he looks at him here after he sees many of them leave. After this, the disciples left. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the 12 their chance. And he offers this question to them. And the question that Jesus says to them is this, do you also want to leave? That's the message that I'm presenting to you today. That is the whole sermon today is that question. 
When we were talking about PowerPoints this week, I said, I got one thing that I want to put up there. And the question that I want to put up there is the strong question from John chapter 6. And it's this, do you also want to leave? Picture Jesus saying this to them and picture what it was like. After Jesus has done these things, after these miracles have taken place and people start to bail, people start to hop off of the road to redemption and they start to do this and picture him looking at them and saying, do you also want to leave? I picture them as they hear this and I picture James kind of sliding over a little bit closer to his brother, maybe shifting close to him. I picture Judas just, I don't know, being shifty. Then I think about the sons of thunder hollering, you know, saying some things here. And then the one who speaks up, the one who says something I've always believed is a great representation of me and you. Because I like to say it this way in verse 68, enter Peter. Peter enters and here's what Peter says. Master, to whom would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. Now, you can hear this one of two ways. Peter's response to him is this, where else are we going to go? Now, now, if you hear this maybe in a dating life or a marital relationship, well, you're, it's basically saying this, you know, you're, you're the best option or I don't have any other option, right? The, the response here is this, where else are we going to go? There's nowhere else for us to go because we have committed ourselves and we are confident that you are the Holy One of God. My question for you as a church this morning is the same question that I have to ask myself when I think about him being powerful. When asked the question, do you want to leave also? Are you going to go also? Think about the people in your life that have been faithful. Maybe it was a childhood friend. It was a childhood friend and you guys got bloody lips together because you know what? You said, we're going to go and we're going to fight so-and-so. and We're going to do this together. And maybe you got your tail whipped, but you did it together. I had some friends growing up and they would say this, man, I got your back. And if you have a friend that has to tell you all the time why they have your back, you would much rather have friends that just have your back without all those words, right? And I had a buddy tell me one time in Nashville, and we won't use too many names, but he told me, he said, Taft, I got your back. And I went to a situation where I thought he had my back. And it turns out he left out a word way back. Like, like I got your back maybe if we need to you know, go to the hospital or if you get a broken bone. I want people to have my back, meaning, hey, I am right here and I am with you. You know what Jesus says? That's what it takes to follow me. You don't just halfway commit. You don't just say, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of in when it comes to Jesus. Jesus says, it's going to cost you everything but it's also going to give you everything. And Peter says, I'm in. Master, who, to where else would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. We've already committed ourselves. We are confident that you are the Holy One of God. He says this, you've got the words to eternal life. And you think about the fact that it's Peter that's saying this. And if you study your Bible at all, knowing the fact that it's Peter that says this, where else are we gonna go? You know what Peter's doing right here? He is talking a good game. I can do that, and so can you. Man, I am in. Man, I I love the Lord. I am in. I am going to follow him. I can preach this sermon. I can talk about commitment. But in the darkest places of my soul, when my head hits the pillow, 
I have to answer the question, did I really mean that? Am I really connected? Am I really in? Because we know what happens with Peter, don't we? Uh, Just a short while later, we've got full-on denial. And you know what can happen for us? We can see this and we can say, how can somebody answer this question? Do you also want to leave? He answers with a resounding, no way. Where else are we going to go? I'm committed. I am in. To quote my earlier story, you are the source of all power. But then he turns and he denies him. And we can beat ourselves up over this and think that there's no hope. There's no hope for me. I mean, look what Peter did. But then when Jesus comes back at the resurrection when Jesus comes back it is mentioned to us that when he comes back the angel of the Lord appears and when he returns one of my favorite things that happens is the message from Jesus is this number one it's I'm back but number two it's this go tell the disciples I love it and Peter mentions him by name Mentions him by name and newsflash, Jesus doesn't do anything on accident. God doesn't make mistakes. And so this morning when I think about my life and I wonder sometimes, is there any hope? Is there any hope because there's a power here that I've denied and I have scorned him? Here's what I want you to know. It's right to wonder if there's any hope because God does not scorn well. God has described us as somebody who is jealous free message for all the young guys here today. When you meet a girl and you meet her and you're crazy about her and you think she's wonderful and if she flashes jealous tendencies, one of the things that you don't ever want to do is say to your buddies, hey, watch this. Hey, watch this. She's really jealous, so I'm going to do such and such. That ends in like a Carrie Underwood song or something, right? That ends with somebody getting really mad and you're going to be scorned really hardcore, right? And the funny thing about jealousy, free sermon, is this. Jealousy does the opposite of what we think it's going to do in human form. But when we look at God, who is a jealous God, a God that I don't want to be guilty of saying, hey, watch this. Hey, surely he didn't mean that. Hey, I'm going to justify this or write some own narrative in my mind of how this is going to work. When I find myself in those positions, I have an opportunity to get back on the road to redemption the same way that Peter did. I can't wait for Jesus Christ to call me by name. I can't wait to know that after all the things that I have done on this earth, all the mistakes, all the brokenness, all the problems, all the times when I have said, yeah, I am in, but then my life has shown something that looked completely different, I can't wait to live in that restored sense forever. But I'm just like Peter, I can't do it with my own talents, with my own abilities, because those will get me about five feet, if that. I can only do it through Jesus Christ. And this morning, we are here at the West Seventh Church of Christ. And when you're here at the West Seventh Church of Christ, the name on that sign doesn't say Church of Christ only because that's where your family has always gone. It doesn't say Church of Christ because you believe that I've got my phone in one pocket and I've got all the answers in the other one. That's not what it means. When I go somewhere and I identify with a group that has chosen to call themselves the Church of Christ, one acceptable biblical name, what I'm saying is this, Church of Christ, a group of that belongs to Jesus. 
It's as simple as that for my life. And it's simple as that for my life, and I'm the one that makes it hard. This morning, if you have muddied it up, if you have made it hard, if you have been somebody like me who has denied the power of him, maybe you find yourself this morning in an evaluation standpoint and you say this, my life shows that I love Jesus, but my life doesn't show that I fear God. We have an opportunity this morning to respond to that power and to respond to that. And this question that we have on the screen, the same question that is asked in John chapter six, do you also want to leave? Our physical presence this morning says this, no, I'm here, I'm in. But my heart might be saying something different. And if you need to reconnect to that source of power this morning, it's our prayer that you'll do that as we stand and sing as a church family. Oh,